As you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word from Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Amen. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The grass withers, the flowers fade, and they fall, but your word stands, and it stands forever. Sanctify us with truth. Your word is truth. All scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness that we may be equipped for every good work. So speak, Lord, your servants listen. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Mike, for your kind introduction. It is a joy to be with you again under God's word at Trinity Presbyterian Church. I have many friends here, but I am very well aware that I am not the reason why I'm here. My wife is the reason why I'm here. Anne is the famous one. She ministered for three happy years as director of Christian education here at Trinity Church in Montgomery in the 1980s, and she is with me today. You always ask me if she's here. She is here. Anne, if you would just stand and and let people see you, you can see her after the service. Uh, Please, uh, again, I know you don't want to see me after the service. You want to see her after the service, so she's here today. Now, it's a delight to be with you at Missions Conference, and I suspect that even as you listen to Mike read Psalm 67, you could tell you could tell that it's a missionary psalm, and it is indeed. This was John Stott's favorite psalm, and of course, we know that John Stott spent much of his life promoting the cause of world missions, especially in Africa and in other places in the global south. And this psalm was his favorite psalm. Some of you know the book by John Piper called Let the Nations Be Glad. That book, which is about world missions, and by the way, it opens, for for a book on world missions, it opens with a delicious line. Its opening line is that mission is not the ultimate goal and purpose of our life. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. And that's how, he, that's how he starts that great book on missions, Let the Nations Be Glad. Well, you know what it is? It's an exposition of Psalm 67. 
So this is a perfect psalm for us to reflect on at a missions conference. And I want you to see three things in particular in this psalm. If you uh, have your Bibles, uh, let me just direct your attention to three specific places in this psalm. I want you to see a connection, an affection, and a declaration in this psalm. A connection, and the connection that you're going to see is in verses 1 and 2. Then I want you to see an affection, and that affection you're going to see in verse 4. And then I want you to see a declaration, and that declaration will occur in verse 7. So I want you to see a connection, an affection, and a declaration. Let's start off in verses 1 and 2 where we see this connection made between God's blessings on us and the people's praising God. The psalmist makes a connection between God blessing us and the nation's praising God. Look at that connection in verses 1 and 2. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Pause. What's the psalmist quoting? He's quoting Aaron's benediction, or maybe more accurately, the benediction that God gave to Moses to give to Aaron, to give the priests, to pronounce on the people. You remember the story. It's in Numbers. The people of God gather to bless him, and God says, don't ever, Moses, don't ever let the people come to bless me without sending them away with a blessing. And of course, the principle of that is, you cannot out-bless God. And so he said, every time the people gather to bless me, you tell Aaron to tell the priests to say this to them. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You see, every time they gather to bless me, you bless them with that blessing before they go. That's what the psalmist is quoting. So he's going back to that first benediction given by God to Moses to give to Aaron, to give the priest, to give to the people. But he, he, then he takes a twist. Look at verse 2. He, he alludes to that benediction, which is a blessing prayer on you pronouncing God's blessing on you. And then he takes this very interesting turn in verse 2. Notice what he says. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. That's really interesting. Lord, bless us, it's a petition, in order that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. And then he goes right into a very clear, explicit petition, verse 3, let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Did you get the connection? Here's the connection. God's blessing on us has in view all the nations being brought into the blessings of God. It's very much like Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, right? When God blesses Abraham, one of the things that he says to Abraham, Genesis 12, verse 3, is that in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. 
So Abraham was blessed in order to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. The connection that's being made here in Psalm 67 verses 1 and 2 is God's blessing on you is meant to be a means to the blessing of the nations. You know, it's, we will often use a little phrase, and it sounds maybe a little trite, that we're blessed to be a blessing. But that's true. It's true, and it's biblical. That's exactly what the psalmist is saying here. Lord, I'm asking for your blessing on us, your people, in order that the nations might be brought into blessing, in order that the nations might be brought into your family. So we are blessed in order to be a blessing, a, and that blessing has in view all the nations praising God. This psalm is thought to be a harvest psalm. And there are a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one is the use of the benediction, Aaron's benediction, in verse 1. But one is because of what it says in verse 6. In verse 6 it says, the earth has yielded its produce. And so it's, it, it may well be a psalm that was used by the people of God uh, in the temple or in the tabernacle at harvest time. Notice how it, it's, it starts for the choir director with stringed instruments. In other words, this psalm was meant to be sung and recited in public worship. So maybe it's public worship around harvest time. And the people, the mindset is, Lord, your blessing, you fed us for another year. But don't just bless us, Lord, bless the nations. Your blessing on us is meant to lead to the blessing of the nations. And so that connection between God's blessing on us and the blessing of God on the nations leads to the petition. And here's the petition. It's repeated twice verbatim and once more in a similar way. So it's obviously very important in the psalm. You see it especially in verse 3. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So, God's blessing on the people leads them to pray what? Lord, let all the nations praise you. Let all the nations worship you. Let all the nations own you and acknowledge you as the one true and living God. You see, the connection between God's blessing on us and God's blessing on the nation leads to a petition that the nations would come to praise God. That's the first thing that I want you to see in the psalm. A connection that leads to a petition that the nations would come to praise God. And by the way, that prayer is at the heart of missionary activity. If, if, if that if that doesn't animate you, the desire to see the nations praise God, 
You won't care much about giving to faith promise. You won't care much about missions month at Trinity. You won't care much about hearing from missionaries or going to the trouble of preparing them and sending them out and then supporting them and writing to them and praying for them in the field. If that's not animating you, then you're going to be tepid at best when it comes to thinking about world missions. So partly this psalm is about getting our heart in the right place so that we can engage personally and corporately in the work of world missions. So there's the connection that leads to a petition. But now I want you to see an affection. There is a deep desire expressed by the psalmist in this psalm. It's a desire of the heart. It's an affection of the heart. His heart longs for God to be known. Look at verse 2. That you may be known. That God's salvation would be known. His saving power, verse 2. But look at verse 4. That you judge the people with equity and you guide the nations. Verse 4. And then again, verse 7. That the ends of the earth would fear you or hold you in reverence and awe. So the, the psalmist has this burning desire that the nations would know God, that they would know his salvation, that they would praise him for his judgment, that they would praise him for his sovereign providence, that they would, pra- that they would fear him, that they would hold him with reverence and respect and honor and awe. Now, Just think about that for a second. That affection, that desire, cannot be realized without conversion. Right? You know, when when you announce that God saves sinners, that message is often met by unrepentant sinners with scorn. Right? It's saved sinners that love to hear that message, that God saves sinners. And it's sinners that are under conviction that are relieved to hear that message that God saves sinners. But sinners who are unrepentant, who are recalcitrant in their sin, hate that message. They're offended by that message. What do you mean telling me that I need to be saved? I'm a good person. And then in verse 4, look at the two aspects of God that the psalmist wants God to be praised for. He judges the people with equity and he guides the nations on the earth. So he wants the peoples to praise God for the doctrine of his judgment and the doctrine of his sovereign providence. Well, my friends, I don't know two doctrines that unbelievers hate more than those doctrines. I mean, have you ever been in a conversation with an unbeliever and and the question of God's final judgment is raised? And usually, here's a mild response to that, usually you'll get something like this. Well, I just think that it's unfair and unkind to think that God will judge people. Recalcitrant unbelievers hate the doctrine of God's judgment. So if the psalmist wants the nations to praise God for his salvation, to praise God for his judgment, 
to praise God for his sovereign providence and rule over the earth and to, and to praise and honor God in fear and awe and respect, what's going to have to happen? They're going to have to be converted. Only converted people are excited about those aspects of who God is. But, you know, usually you're told, well, I, I like to think of God as kind and loving and he wouldn't judge anyone and he, he, he loves everyone equally and there's, there's, there's no all of this depressing teaching about us being sinners and needing to be saved. I just think God accepts it. That's, that's, what, that's what the world thinks about God. And the, but the psalmist wants the world to say, yes, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and God is that Savior. Yes, there is a final judgment, and I'm spared from that final judgment because God sent his son, as we heard in John 3.16 during the assurance of pardon this morning. God sent his son in my place so that I would not face judgment for sins, but that he would bear my sins. And as I trust in him, I'm forgiven and cleansed of all my sins, and I'm accepted by God, and I'm adopted into his family, and I'm changed. And I love that God is sovereignly in control of this world. And I fear him and praise him and honor him and hold him in reverence and all. That only happens through conversion. So this is an affection here that requires conversion. If the nations are going to praise God for who he really is, then the nations are going to have to be converted. And you know what that means, friends? World missions. How shall they... No, if there is not someone to declare to them the truth. Faith comes by hearing. That's, that's, that's why we care about world missions. Because if the nations are going to praise God for who he is, like the psalmist is praying in this psalm, it's going to mean conversion. It's going to mean conversion. The, the, the Lord continues to do remarkable things like this around the world. Just a few years ago, I was in Papua, Indonesia. Not Papua, New Guinea, but the eastern uh, or the western end of that island, about 16,000 feet in the interior, right on the equator, and uh, with a tribe of people who were discovered 20 years ago by a Canadian missionary. Uh, who with his life lives up up there in the little village of Devoto. The, as far as we know, the Moy people had never had contact with the outside world. And Steve and Carolyn, his wife, went there and have lived there ever since, reared their girls there. And they're the first ones to ever share the gospel with them. And when when they got there, the the state of life was hard, and horrible. Uh, murder was common. Um, feuds were common. And, and the gospel has gradually transformed that tribe. The, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But we will not praise God as we ought until we know him as he is, and we cannot know him as he is without the gospel and without conversion. And so that, that's, that's why you do what you do every year here during Missions Month, to focus your attention on 
the gospel going to the ends of the earth so that people come to know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ from the preaching of the gospel according to the word of God. This affection that the psalmist talks about here can only be realized through conversion. One last thing that I want you to see in the psalm. And that is a declaration in verse 7, a declaration that undergirds our mission. Here's the declaration. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. And I think that the, the thrust of that sentence goes like this. Lord, I know you've, you've promised to bless us. You've promised to bless us. I know you're going to bless us. But the reason you're going to bless us is in order that all the ends of the earth would fear you. In other words, this declaration is a declaration that undergirds our mission to the world. The the, the psalmist is saying, I realize that one of the purposes of God's blessing me is so that the nations would come to fear him. If I could, if I could describe it to you like this, it's like a, a Hebrew farmer who's gathered with the people of God in the sanctuary uh, in the Old Testament, and he's had a very good year. You know, his little 40 acres has done really well. His crops have come in. Harvest was perfect. He's been able to sell part of it to others, barter part of it to others. Uh, He's got enough for his own family to last through the winter and plenty enough to give away. And he looks at that little 40 acres of harvest and he says, Lord, it's been a very good year. The yield on the crop was mighty good this year, Lord. So why don't you just... Save the world while you're at it, Lord. Why don't you just bring in the harvest of the nations, men and women and boys and girls from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. You see the connection in the Hebrew farmer's mind? Lord, your blessing on me actually is a little picture of the blessing that you have planned for the nations. And I want what you have given me to be used for the blessing of the nations. In other words, he, he recognizes that God has blessed him so that his generosity may overflow in the blessing of the nations. That, that, that really should animate all of us. That's not just an Old Testament believer's attitude. That's a New Testament believer's attitude. That's why Paul sometimes will talk about feeling as if he owes unbelievers the gospel. He, he's been saved by God. He once was an unbeliever and a blasphemer and an idolater and a rebel against God's mercy and grace. And God saved him. And now he does what? He owes unbelievers the gospel. He's a debtor to those who don't know the gospel. God's generosity to him is meant to overflow in God's blessing on others. And that's the deduction that that Hebrew farmer is making here in Psalm uh, 67, verses 6 and 7. Lord, you've been good to me, and your generosity to me is meant to be used so that the nations would come to fear you. 
These are the things that are meant to animate our hearts. These are the things that are meant to fill our prayers. And in this case, this actually informs our mission in life. In in this room, there are a lot of cradle Presbyterians. And even if you've forgotten 106 of the questions of the shorter catechism, you haven't forgotten question one. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And, And the psalmist is actually saying here, your blessing on me informs the whole rest of my life. And the whole rest of my life is about glorifying you through using generously the blessing that you have given me so that the nations would come to fear you. That's, that's, the, that's the logic of the psalmist here. Your blessing on me, Lord, is meant to be a blessing to the ends of the earth. That's an amazing thing. We will not know until eternity how the Lord uses our generosity in bringing others to faith in Christ. We, at missions conference time, we get to hear a few reports that encourage us along the way. But we won't see the final results until the last day. But we're assured by this psalm that just as God shall bless us, we're also assured that he shall use our generosity so that the nations come to fear him. That's why we do what we do. That's why we give to the work of world mission. This psalm gives us a connection, a connection between God's blessing on us and God's blessing on the world that leads us to pray what? Lord, bring the nation to a saving knowledge of God. And it, then it, it shows us the affections of our hearts. The longing for God to be praised that require, if the nations are going to be a part of that, the nations are going to have to be converted. The gospel is going to have to be preached. The Bible is going to have to be translated. The message is going to have to be shared. People are going to have to respond in faith and repentance for these kinds of petitions to come to pass. But then very personally it concludes by saying, you know, this is true. God's blessings to me are not simply for me. By the way, that's that's so true in every area of life. I, I, I often talk to people in my congregation that are enduring significant suffering. And I'll say to them, remember one thing in this. Your suffering doesn't belong to you alone. Your suffering is meant also to strengthen the body of Christ. And I can attest to this. The people that have gone through the most suffering in my congregation have often been the best comforters to others. Who are going through suffering. Why? Because they remember my suffering isn't just for me. You're not just, you're not just carrying me through a trial, Lord, and you're not just helping me through a trial, Lord, and you're not just teaching me things about yourself through this trial. You're equipping me to be a blessing to other people in their trials. Well, if it's true that our suffering doesn't belong to us, it's also true that our blessings don't belong to us. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others, so that the ends of the earth 
might know him. That's the declaration that undergirds our mission to the world. May the Lord work these things in our heart so that we give not out of a sense of compulsion, but that we give out of hearts that want to give, that desire and have the affections of this psalmist here. That's the key, isn't it? If our, if our hearts have these affections described in Psalm 67, everything else will follow. Everything else will follow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time in your word this morning. And I pray especially that you would, by your spirit, work in the affections of our hearts to desire the things that you want us to desire more than anything else. And that that would change how we live and how we use our blessings and how we pursue your mission in our life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.